Okay, so my name is Audrey. Um, hi! Uh, in certain circles at work, I'm known as Awesome Audrey. So feel free to call me that if you'd like, but you don't have to. Um, I've, uh, my husband and Jerry and I are members here at Pillar Church. We've been married for 21 years. Uh, we have three kids between us. Um, and, oh, by the way, I'm just supposed to remind you, if you have any questions, to write them down on your little card and put them in the box back here. And we're going to go over questions at the end. So, um, just a little bit about me. I'm what you like to call passionate about people's feelings, um, which you could call crybaby, overly empathetic, emotional, whatever. So, if I have a moment up here, which I'm having right now, <laughs> a passionate moment. Just bear with me and we'll get through it, okay? Amen. Thank you. <laughs> I love you guys too. Um, so, uh, I'd like to start with a small, tiny little activity. Um, so, you're all here with your spouses today, so I'd like you to think about this. You're going on a trip and you are at a gas station and you say to your spouse, hey, could you go inside and get me a drink? And um, so it's up to them to pick you the drink. So think about if you were to go in the gas station and get the drink, what would that drink be? There's Pepsi, there's Coke, there's iced tea, lemonade, water, you name it. Everything is there. Non-adult beverages, G-rated beverages, okay? <laughs> what would you get for your spouse? So think about that. And now I would like you to tell each other what drink you would get for each other. There's some conflict going on already here. <laughs> got the right drink. Ooh, about half. Raise the hand if you did not get the right drink. Raise your hand. Okay. So I, I share this because um, it took my husband 15 years to figure out what my favorite drink was. 15 years. Um, and two things actually happened. We were on vacation with some friends and we went to like this little frosty freeze thing. And um, he found out what my favorite drink was, and he found out what kind of ice cream I liked, which was like a chocolate dip cone thing. And we were talking about this as I was preparing for today, and he said it was a really profound moment for him. And I said, well, why? Like, what was such a big deal? And he said, well, first of all, he was mad because I never told him what my favorite drink was and what my favorite ice cream was. And I said, well, you never asked which is kind of like what Trace was saying earlier, you know? But he did say, you know, that made him realize how much he did not know me. And even those simple little things, you know, that we think, uh, you talked about being a mind reader. You know, by the way, God is so great because some of the things that these guys have said already today, I have written down and I just thought, well, check that off and check that off. And so it's been really great to hear you guys speak and be able to follow you. So I appreciate, you know, leading up to um, what, what we're talking about today. So first thing I have is we're not mind readers, like uh, Trace said. Uh, we may think that we know what the other person is thinking, feeling, wanting, um, but usually we're pretty far out in the ballpark. So 
So what I'm gonna talk about right now is just kind of some simple things about communication, and then these are gonna help us when we get to a later uh, a topic later on in the discussion. So, you know, communication takes two things, one person to be the teller or the sharer, whatever you wanna call it, and one person who's being willing to listen. And you both have to be invested in the conversation. So it can't just be one of you wants to talk, but the other one's not ready to listen. We'll, we'll talk about that. Um, and so the first thing you want is to make sure that you have the right timing. Who talks about timing? Was that you? Daniel, right? Yes. Before you go to bed, before you go to work. Uh, my husband Jerry was in line at the grocery store with his daughter, and she decided she wanted to share something really important in the grocery store. And he just went like this. Okay, <laughs> and then they went to the car and had to have a conversation in the car. So it's important that you talk about or think about, first of all, the topic that I'm gonna talk about is it, how long is this gonna take? Because if it's gonna take a while, you're gonna need to make sure that you plan for that amount of time. Think about your surroundings, who else is here? Uh, can we talk about this later? We like to call that putting it on a shelf. So if there's a topic that you know I wanna talk about or he wants to talk about and we can't do it right now, we put it on the shelf and then we come back to it later because we know that maybe this is not the right time or place or there's other people. You also wanna think about what kind of reaction are you going to get from this person? So if you're knowing that what you're gonna share may be um, hurtful or hard to hear or you think this person may get angry, which is one of the reasons we don't share at all, because we're afraid of what's gonna be the response we're gonna get. Um, taking all of those things into consideration before you start sharing or having a conversation is really important. Um, so as the teller or the sharer, the person talking, you want to make sure that you are vulnerable, which has been said already today, um, that you get all of your feelings out open and honest, um, share it all. If you are sharing something and you decide, I'm just gonna keep this one little piece of it back, that one little piece can turn into something more and more and more, and the enemy can really use it to create a more difficult circumstance because you decided you were gonna keep that piece um, back to yourself. I mean, what's the point of sharing if you're not gonna share it all? How, how is your spouse gonna learn you or talk to you or um, accept what you're having to say if you're not going to share everything. Um, sorry. So remember also who your audience is. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So remember, this is the person that you love, the person that you married, the person that you committed to. So using kind words, words that build up, the King James called it edifying, things that make them feel good, not squash them or hurt them or harm them are words that you want to use. Um, my husband and I took this class called uh, Love and Respect uh, a few years back. And it talks about how women wear pink glasses and men wear blue glasses. And so because we wear these different colored glasses, our perspectives on how we see things and feel and stuff are really different. 
Um, but the basis of that class was that uh, when I look at my spouse, my spouse is made in the image of God, essentially is Christ. So when I'm talking to him, I look at him and I think I'm talking to Christ. And I know what you're thinking. This person is as far from Christ as anybody could be, right? I'll give you that, okay, but we're all sinners. We're all not perfect. But if you really looked at them that way, you start thinking to yourself, would I really say that to Christ? Would I do that to Christ? Would I act that way? And it really kind of changes your perspective in the way that you see them, talk to them, um, even feel toward them, you know, because Christ wouldn't do that to you. So why would you do that back to Christ? So because of the way that you communicate, sometimes the things that you're going to talk about are going to be hurtful. Um, but words that you choose will often soften the blow. Um, I'll give you a, for instance, from our house. And these are really simple things that I'm sharing with you. But, you know, you can translate these or use these uh, as situations come up. So my... My husband, <laughs> Jerry, I told him I was going to share this, by the way. I said, I'm going to share one thing about you, and that's it. Um, so he, he's kind of a loud guy, which I'm sure you all know if you know him. Um, and so in the morning when he gets up, sometimes he's really loud, and he slams the garage door, and it wakes up the house. So um, if I said to him, you know, I really hate it when you slam the garage door because you're so loud and you wake up the whole house. How is that going to go over with him? Probably not very well. But what I chose to say was, you know, you probably don't know this, but you're a little bit loud. And <laughs> in the morning, you sometimes slam the garage door and it wakes up the whole house. So could you try to work on that? And that went over much better than the first way I said it. So, or the first way if I had said it that way. So again, choosing words that will make it a little bit more kind. And I gave him grace by saying, hey, you probably don't know this, but, um, you know, using the words to build him up and make him not feel bad about his, he can't help himself, that's just the way he is, but it bothers me, right? So, you know, giving him grace and um, just saying, could you try changing your, your word choice a little bit? Um, so the second part is being a listener. So as the listener, you need to have a willing and open heart and mind, just like a teller or a sharer. Everything has to be completely open. So you have to be willing to hear what this person has to say. Now they have come to you for some reason or another. They feel like they have something really important to share. So it's important that you give them the respect of listening. So both of you talked about being on your phone, <laughs> which I think is like the number one way that we show that we are not listening. Uh, you could also be doing the dishes, um, watching TV, you know, whatever it is. But taking a posture of, okay, you want to talk, I'm here, I want to listen, is really important because it does speak to that person about that you're really saying, I'm here to hear what you have to say. Now remember the verse that we just talked about, Ephesians 4.29, words that are good for building up. So if I said to Jerry, you know, I said my little garage speech, could you not slam the door? And he said back to me, you're just so sensitive, God. 
He's not really using words <laughs> that, are, that are edifying or building up. He's giving me right back what I should have said to him in the first place, right? So, but his response to me actually was, okay, well, I didn't know that that was happening or that you felt that way. So again, that verse goes both ways for the person who's sharing and the person who is listening, using those words, giving grace, because you don't know how hard it might be for them to share what they have to share, to say what they have to say. Um, so making sure that um, you have that, that posture. And then also James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. So our natural tendency is to get defensive, get upset, um, maybe not take ownership in, in everything, but here it, you know, it says that we need to be gracious in hearing what it is that is being told to us. Um, there are times too when we have to recognize what our role is in whatever is happening, whatever the situation is. Daniel briefly talked about um, knowing that you're part of the problem. Like, and so when someone, when your spouse, and I keep saying someone because you can use this in many, different conversations, but your spouse has come to you and said, hey, this is my issue. Um, sometimes it's not even about you. Sometimes it's about work. Sometimes it's about family. It's the neighbors. It's whatever. But you do have to recognize when you are part of the problem. What is my role in the situation? Um, so it's important that you don't put the blame back on them. Well, you only feel that way because X, Y, Z. Well, you do have something to do with it. So and remember that, again, this person is Christ, right? So Christ reconciled himself to us. So we should be trying to reconcile ourselves back to our spouse. Why would we not want to do that? Why would we want to um, keep living in this you know, situation or um, keep letting it you know, kind of have its way in whatever part of our life that it's in? instead of trying to reconcile ourselves to our spouse the way Christ reconciled himself to us. So think about, you know, the last time that your spouse brought something to you and think to yourself, what was my reaction? Did I die to myself and say, yes, I have a part in that? Or was I quick to anger or slow to anger? Was I um, admitting that I was part of the problem? Did I really sit and, and do a posture of I'm listening? Or did I say, what's wrong now? Or <laughs> um, what do you want to talk about? I don't really have time for this. You know, so just things to think about in you know, the last time. Can we talk about this later, maybe? So just something to think about in what your last reaction was to a conversation versus what it could be moving into the future. Um, so another thing I wanted to bring up are um, triggers. Triggers are, so, yes, my favorite. Um, so Trace briefly talked about this too, about things in your childhood or your past or things that you haven't shared. Um, so there's the good triggers, you know, the ones where you hear a song and you think about where you were in 1980, blah, 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 and <laughs> hearing that song and it's having such a great time, you know, or you smell a smell and it brings back a memory or food or whatever it is. So there's the really good ones that bring back the great memories. And then there's the ones that are not so great. Uh, things that 
are part of our past, part of who we are, that when brought up in some type of way, causes us to react to our partner in a way that might not be so loving. Um, I'll share with you one of mine. Uh, it's Again, it's kind of a not so deep one um, that we've kind of overcome in our marriage. So when I was younger, um, I was a pretty good student. I know you're all surprised, right? Um, <laughs> awesome after, yeah. Um, and so my mom would always tell me, you have no common sense. And I would think to myself, this is like in my teenage years, you know, and I, she, she would always say, you're so smart, but you have no common sense. And so, and, you know, I love my mom. We have a great relationship now, but she used to say that to me all the time. And it really hurt my feelings because I was like, I'm 13, 14, 15, you know, my frontal lobe is not all there and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, so I'm not making the best decisions. And so, um, so I grew up hearing that a lot. So, you know, Jerry and I are having this conversation and he says to me, that's just common sense. He didn't say you have no common sense. He said, well, that's just common sense. And then I went like this. And I went right back to that time, you know, in my past where my mom would say that to me all the time. And I started doing this. And he went like this, whoa, what the heck did I just say? Because all I said was that, I don't even remember what he said. That's just common sense. So, because he had no idea. He had no idea that this was something that was inside of me, that was, um, you know, built in there from a long time ago. And so, um, it was a trigger for me. And so, uh, we went to therapy like six six or seven years ago. And this is one of the things that we learned how to deal with in our marriage. And so I'm gonna give you these five questions. And these are uh, ways that I would encourage you to ask each other um, to work on them together rather than try to do it by yourself. You can do it by yourself, um, but it's more helpful if you do it together because then you can kind of learn about each other, about what your triggers are. Um, so the first uh, question is, what is real? So what did he really say to me? What he really said was, that's just common sense. But what I heard was, you have no common sense. You're dumb. So we're going to take the you're dumb part. We'll put it on the shelf. We'll come back to that later. But what I heard was, you have no common sense. Second question is, what is true? So what is the truth that I'm feeling about myself? after hearing what he had to say to me. So the truth that I felt about myself was, well, you don't have any common sense and you're dumb, just like when you were younger. Um, question number three is, why do I feel this way? Was it a reaction to what he said to me? Or was it something that was brought up from a past experience? Because you could be feeling something or saying something, and it might not be because of a past experience. It could be just a reaction from what's happening in your life right now. So, you know, it's important to differentiate those two things. Question number four is, when did I first feel this way? So then we went, okay, so I feel like this. Here's why. The first time I felt this way was when I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. So I know it's not something that he said to me that makes me feel this way. It's something that I've had kind of ingrained in me that I've grown up with. Um, and this is where it can get really real for you. So if you really think back and think to yourself, um, 
when did this first happen or when was the first time I felt this way? This is when you really take a look deep inside yourself and figure out, you know, why am I feeling like this? And so this might be the really hard part. Um, it may take a while to get there too, because in the middle of it, I'm sure you're gonna be having lots of conflict resolution during the conversation. But if you really get down to the deep part of this, it's, it's really helpful. Um, we, in our house, we call it little Audrey and little Jerry. So we all have a little version of ourselves that sometimes comes out and we have to go, whoa, that's little Audrey, whoa, that's little Jerry, okay? Um, so the last question is, what is truth, what is the truth now? So now that I know what it was, what I thought it was, how I was feeling, when I was feeling it, what is the real truth? So the real truth is, he said to me, that's just common sense. He didn't say, you have no common sense, you're dumb. He didn't say any of that to me. So what, what's, what's cool about triggers is that if you really work on them, they, they can resolve themselves in a way and kind of go away. If you think of a tornado, right? Tornado starts really small and then it goes into like this big cone shape. So in the beginning, you have these triggers and you don't know you have these triggers. And so they're just kind of spinning around in the bottom of the tornado. So you're in there and then it hits you. It hits you again, it hits you again, it hits you again. Because it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. And the, the less the opportunity that you take to actually address them, the more they're going to just kind of stay down here in the bottom and keep hitting you over and over and over. But if you start talking about it, what happens is the tornado gets, you know, wider and bigger and bigger. So then, it, you know, the trigger's here. And then all of a sudden it's over here. And then it's way over here. And so then at some point, less and less times are you affected by the trigger because you have talked about it, you've discovered it, and you've addressed it. And then eventually that trigger kind of just goes away. And then there may be a new trigger that comes up, something you didn't know that you had, which is okay, but now you have the tools to be able to talk about it and figure out what it is and why it is. Um, and then if your spouse really loves you, they won't do that trigger anymore <laughs> because they know what it is. Now, shame on them if they decide, well, I just want to make her mad, so I'm going to say this. Or shame on you if you do the same thing. But just knowing that, you know, those things will have a tendency to go away. They're all still floating around in there. But the more that you talk about them and release them, the easier it is to kind of move on from there. Um, so let's go back to the part where I said I'm dumb. We put that on the shelf. What we like to call that in our house is the spirit of confusion. So there's a lot of times, and I'm sure that you have experienced this, where you say one thing and they hear something completely different. The old, how do I look today? And then you say, oh, you look beautiful. Or, or you walk up to her and say, oh, you look so pretty today. And she hears, well, what about every other day, right? So it's those kind of things where we misconstrue the conversation or we misconstrue kind of what's being said. Um, that goes into that whole trigger thing too. It's all part of it. So it's, all, it's, so it's important to recognize when you're experiencing those things, whether it's a trigger or the spirit of confusion or just a basic conversation so that you know exactly you know, how to react to that. Um, and then and Daniel talked about um, confronting sin, right? When you know that your partner is in sin and you want to confront them, I would like to actually talk about um, the confession part of sin. So um, we're all believers. I don't have to give you the definition of sin. Yay. <laughs> 
Um, but it can be, you know, sin in a marriage can be anything. It can be, um, you know, lust, uh, lying, deceit, um, unfaithfulness. There's a lot of different things um, that it can be. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. To me, that says he wants, he wants me. He wants your spouse. He wants your marriage, your family, your kids. He wants it all. And he's not going to stop until he gets it. So the way that he does that is by temptation and sin. So he inserts himself into your marriage somehow by creating this, you know, well, we're all sinful in nature. We know that. But by showing us the temptation that we could have, right? Trace talked last week, which I thought was really great, about the um, being tempted in one way and then knowing that you should go this way. Um, it, it's the same thing in marriage, you know? The one thing I will say about that is that when your partner chooses to act on sin, it's not your fault. They may blame you for the choice that they made, but it, ultimately it's not your fault at all. We have to take our own ownership in the sin that we're in and what we choose to do. No one can make us sin except ourselves. So as the, you know, knowing that part of the issue, just know that, again, we can't blame our partners or let them blame us for the sin that we choose to be in. But it is important that you become accustomed to confessing your sin to your spouse. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, speaking, speaking from personal experience, you know, I, we went through some major, major stuff, but it's really important that you practice confession to your partner because the only thing you can do is make your relationship better, like Trace was saying, um, and it's going to be really hard, but remember the, the skills we learned in the beginning, being a good listener, being an open listener, being a good sharer and an open sharer, vulnerable, vulnerability, um, even being willing to hear without judgment. So hearing what the person is sharing without judging them for their sin or blaming them for their sin, giving grace and saying, this is not your fault. This is what I've chosen to do. Um, so, and, and remember, it all goes both ways. The harsh words, the graciousness, um, the loving part of it. It's really, um, it's really important that you remember that, the Ephesians 4.29 verse. You know, and Trace talked briefly about scripture too and using scripture over your life. You know, praying particular or specific scripture I think is important too over whatever the situation is. So when you have that sin in your life, praying over that specific sin, you know, finding a verse or two in the Bible that you could use to pray over that specific sin is really helpful. Praying over your marriage, over your kids, over your spouse even every day. You'd be surprised how your relationship would change if, if you pray for your spouse every single day. You ever been convicted by your own words? <laughs> um, and then lastly, I just want to share that, um, well, almost lastly, uh, all these tools are great, and all these things are great, if, but if you don't allow God to shine a light on what your issue is, it's, it's going to be really hard to even get it out. 
So even praying a prayer over, you know, God, show me, show me where my sin is. Show me where um, I can be different or better. Um, show me uh, how to be, I don't want to say how to be a good husband or a good wife, because I mean, you can pray that too, but the more specific you are, the, be- the better that God will be able to show you and narrow down, you know, what, how he can help you. Um, you know, just giving God authority over your marriage and your family and your house is, is really important. Um, so now that we have these awesome tools, everything's going to be great, right? All done. We're going to leave here and it's all going to be great. And we love each other and, you know, all that stuff, right? Um, it's not going to magically happen after you leave here. The first week, the first month, you know, it's not just going to be one of those things that just, that just happens. And so we can't expect that. That's what it's going to be. You also can't expect that your spouse is going to do all this stuff that we're talking about today. The only thing you can expect is what you are going to choose to do. You are going to choose. So if I say, even having a conversation about what you heard today, I'm choosing to do X, Y, or Z from today. Would at least allow your spouse to know how you're going to use the tools today. So like Trace talked about, if you have the tools, if you have unity, if you have agreement, but you never really talk about it, it doesn't do any good. So um, taking everything that you learned today and, uh, you know, making the the first step and saying, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I choose to do. Um, Having an open conversation about what you heard today um, can just kind of start the ball rolling and getting that. Uh, communication, good communication started. So I'm going to pray. I feel like that was really short, but okay. (laughs) Okay. Dear Lord, we just thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for the couples that were here today, Lord. Um, I thank you, Father, that you have just imparted um, your wisdom on uh, on us to be able to share, God. And thank you so much that um, you are here today, that you're present Um, and that your spirit was here. I just pray for every single marriage, for every person that's here today, Lord, um, that you would just continue to bless them, Lord. Bless them and keep them. Help them to grow deeper in love with one another. Help them to use the tools that they learned today to um, grow their marriage, to uh, have healthy conflict resolution, to be able to communicate in a way that is uh, gracious and loving to each other, Father. Um, I just pray, Father, for... Uh, each person individually as well, that they take exactly what you have for them, Lord, and that they use it to the best of their abilities, and that you give uh, each person grace and love for each other. Um, We thank you, Lord, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.